0: No, Nate was the activities director for the apocalypse.
1: That's the what apocalypse talked. hasn't happened yet. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what?
0: When we were at Tom's, and oh, who asked right. that? Was it Bailey? She was like, "What would everyone's job <laughs> be was in Catherine? The, Oh, Catherine was. That's what right. was would everyone's job like, be in the? Would,
1: yeah, during the apocalypse. And I was like, "Well, I sew. Brandon's a framer, so he'd be building stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm good um, at animal husbandry. Uh, Mackie cooks and gardens, and he would be in charge of. I mean, we kind of all cook and drugs. garden, though, yeah. right? And Nate, bit. Nate is our activities director. <laughs> he
1: was like, "I have no skills." <laughs> He's like, "But I'm I'm really good at like organizing, like I can bartend, and yeah." Like, and
2: we're like, "That is that is very impartial." He, he wanted to be the DJ.
1: Yeah, he started off with him being the DJ. And then, bingo, the bingo caller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do bingo on Wednesdays during the apocalypse.
2: <laughs> and then the only skill that I could think of was I can hacky sack, but I can skateboard too. Right, that could be useful in the Screw apocalypse. Doctors, we're like trying to escape sure. like the zombies. Yeah. And I but can what just if you
1: like lead you know, them away on a skateboard, <laughs> Tripper or get stuck on like like crack in the sidewalk, and you fall off your skateboard, and then uh, the zombies are just right, the
2: right, right. point. Like I'm good at skateboarding, so like that sort of that thing. only
1: helps you.
2: No, because that I will
1: ha- That doesn't help. I'll the group.
2: be the decoy. Like uh, we're trying to like gather supplies from an urban setting. I'll be on the skateboard. The zombies will come out after me. I'll lead them away from the supplies. I would assume circle this back. Be
0: after all the gas has been uh, used up for the vehicles. <laughs> this is the downside to that, though, is that is a zombie specific apocalypse. Oh well, yeah, there are other apocaly. apocalypse, apocalypses, apocalypside, Apocalypses. apocalypses, apocalypse. Ap- 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 apocalypse? apocalypse.
2: <laughs> is that a name that of a happen.
0: movie? Apocalypso. Apocalypse Now <laughs> is a movie. That sounds like a horrible
1: mashup, but I want to see it now.
0: <laughs> isn't that a Isn't that a movie? Apocalypso.
2: Apocalypso.
0: Apocalypse now.
2: No, there's a movie called Apocalypso. <laughs> I'm almost sure.
0: I'm sure there's I'm a movie sure. somewhere. and it was like it was
2: like it came out at the same time as that movie like 10,000 BC. I want to. Say, it was oh. like Apocalypto.
1: Apocalypto. Ah. Yeah. 2006 film. With by
0: Mel Gibson. That's pretty cool. Really. <sighs> yep. I think I know what you're talking about now.
1: So.
2: Well, I was one letter off. I was really close. Apocalypse. Calypso is, yeah, that's a, somebody else.
1: I, I love Apocalypse. So that'll be great. So maybe
2: that could be the name of the DJ. <laughs>
0: Nate's DJ name is DJ Apocalypse. <laughs> you heard
1: it here first, Nate. All right. Yep. And Nate, sorry you lost the opportunity to name your DJ self during the apocalypse, but we have, <laughs> we cannot do better than Apocalypse, so I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to Rough Around the Hedges podcast. I'm Kaylin. I'm Adam, and I'm Christine. Today we are going to be talking about the apocalypse. I'm just kidding. allocations. different a word. Alocasia, apocalypse. If I make my own hybrid.
0: Ooh. Ooh. There's I want to grow that. Funky ones. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What would it be a hybrid of?
0: Cupria and like Sarian or something. Now oh. let's do like Nebula. An Infernalis. And that could be cool. Like an alien. where it's like the alien brain, but like super dark black leaves. Or like, what about like a dragon scale mixed with Imperialis? Yeah, So many options.
1: So many options. That's why I love this genus. There's so many badass looking plants.
2: There are. And I literally, like, I feel like I've only scraped the surface. Before we, because I knew we were going to be recording this. I was like looking on a list of all the different species, like recognized species of alocasia. And there's like. There's a lot that I do recognize, but there's also like, whoa, I have not seen that looking thing before. I
0: joined joined my house. I probably haven't. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I joined a a national alocasia group and somebody put together this awesome graphic where it's like, it's just like a couple slides and it has one leaf from all the different alocasia varieties in like an easy to look at format. it's like a couple pages long. And oh my God, I looked through them and I'm like, oh my God, these are so sexy. Where can I find this?
2: Those graphics are like the bane of the collector because it's like you see that yeah, and you're you like need, it's a bingo well, card. You now need to I can yeah. collect them all.
0: I just really want to like print them out and have them be my just house decoration is those kind of are they like are, yeah, is, some of those like absolutely watercolor mm-hmm. we'll do those.
2: There are there are like folks that are out there doing that like, kind of thing.
1: It's not everyone it's a select few and then you have to be at the mercy of the artist who gets to pick which ones he wants to put on there. No
2: right. we, we, we well maybe that in the future like Rough Around the Hedges podcast can, like, sponsor I can do dope. the
1: photography. Christine can grow all the ones I don't have room for. Yeah. You can do the trading and importing to get some of the rare varieties. That's right. Teamwork.
2: Yeah. Put together, like, put together art mm-hmm. that will be, we can call it the bane of the collector. <laughs> and Alex. it will just be a whole series of pieces that <laughs> just show you every single cool variety of a plant
1: that exists. Right. Uh Christine, do you have any corms on the
0: Infernalis yet? No. Um, it. I had pulled it out of its... It came in a four-inch um, pot, and I had pulled it out not too long ago, and it had the, a plug. I didn't realize that the, it came with that stupid plug. Also, small disclaimer: plugs, growers. Stop putting plugs on your plants because they just suffocate the roots long-term if they don't. Right. It sets the plant back.
2: Was the plug, like, made out of that, like fibrous like kind of black paper yeah stuff that's yeah. like you would expect it to break down but it just it doesn't, like and then it never breaks
0: roots, down and then when you go to pull it it's it better than roots.
1: the plastic net pots they yes. put the uh, yeah.
0: aglaonemas in so I actually and it didn't have a ton of roots on it so I actually potted it down um to a two inch pot because allocasias like to be root bound number one they like to have small pots compared to the size of the plant
1: um I don't follow that rule <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't like them. Okay, so big thing on allocation: don't let them dry out. Right. They don't want to dry out. They don't like being dry. Um, If you're a person who finds that they actually grow and you let them dry out, I don't know how you do it. I don't let my stuff dry out. But it's easier if they're in a larger pot than what they need because then they can grow into it and my soil stays moist longer and I'm not having to water them all the time. Which then means I can keep up on the watering so that they don't dry
0: out too much. I tend, instead of going wider, I tend to just go taller. Oh, I love tall pots. So if I can find a nice, like, four-inch pot that's Mm -hmm. taller, then I will keep an allocation in that for a very long time.
1: I used to be scared of tall pots because I was like, oh, there's so much extra space. But now I'm like, oh, good. Now I don't have to repot this as soon. Right.
0: (laughs) There were some
2: plants that I was going to bring to the sale, and then I was like, no, I like this pot too much. I'm going to just keep it (laughs) so that I can reuse this pot and I don't have time to repot it right now. But, um...
1: That's a, why I like putting everything in nursery pots, because I don't care.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, the stuff that you know you want to keep long-term, it's, it can be nice to have in, like, a solid terracotta pot.
1: Yeah.
0: But to circle oh, back, Inferralis right. is still adjusting to that. So, okay. no, nothing really yet. I am excited Christine's going to give me a baby one day. Uh, Alocasia Inferralis is... All black. All black leaves.
1: Oh. And isn't it, like, red? It's, it's actually a shield.
0: super dark green. But, yeah, it's all black.
1: Oh, sexy. I love
0: it. Maybe
2: before we go further into care and all the different varieties and everything, we, we should, should s-
0: go a little more general.
1: Yeah, we should go a little more general. <laughs> so alocasia. allocation,
2: alocasia? I mean, generally, if you're looking at them, it's a genus in the racy yeah. family uh, that is primarily tuberous, right? Like they'd be like the corms and they're, like, they're sort of tuberous, rhizomous. I want to say that I remember reading there's something like 90... Species, at least right now, recognized wow. within the genus.
0: That's a lot smaller than I thought it would be.
2: Yeah, but I think there's well, a, you're just a used lot to
0: 5,000 of, Hoyas. True. And Which, 8 million Calatheon.
2: I don't oh. think either of those numbers are accurate for anybody that's
0: listening. Yes, they're <laughs> the most 5,000 is.
2: There's not 5,000 <laughs> species of Hoya. Aren't
0: there? Or is Maybe it, when you 1, add in all like the cultivars and crap, probably.
2: Because
0: I think...
1: I thought it was a ridiculously high number. I'm not going to look it's it up. It's
0: a pretty high number. Yeah. Once you add in all the cultivars and stuff.
1: So Alocasia is rhizomatous or tuberous, is what the internet says.
0: Interesting. Yep. I would not, I personally wouldn't consider. Oh, them
1: 90 that. accepted species. Huh. That's what alocasia. I'm
0: I'm you're literally
2: just reading <laughs> and confirming you the exact things. Exact
1: number <laughs> that <laughs> just I just said.
2: <laughs> um so so yeah, so that is kind of what you're looking at. So they're related to a lot of the other common. House plants, in the sense that they're in the same family as your pothos and your monstera deliciosas and your, you know, heartleaf philodendrons, but they don't, they're often much more just compact yeah. and they spread differently. Like I don't think any of those other common, more common aeroid varieties that I just listed can grow from corms or like produce corms from the rhizome level. Correct. Um, And there probably are other aeroids out there that can do that, but it's just one thing that makes alocasias awesome, in my opinion.
0: I would, I mean, to jump off it, uh, the cousin of the alocasia, colocasia, they do that. Right. But like, yeah, your philodendron isn't going to produce a little corm at the bottom of it that you can just pull off and root and grow. And that's the best way to prop them. Is when you're in the middle of repotting or whatever, you'll see these little nut-looking guys rolling around in the soil. Sometimes, or they're still attached, and you just pop those off and throw them in whatever growing medium that you want to root them in. And- yeah, they like to be warm. They like to be wet, and then they'll sprout, mm-hmm. and then they'll want light.
2: Yep. So they're the this genus is. I think I read it's mainly they're coming from like Asia, like subtropical and tropical portions of Asia and Australia. Yeah. Um, So Hmm. that can help you kind of determine, obviously, sort of what kind of conditions they're not. They're not going to want to stay outside if you're in the winter, if you're somewhere that it's getting close to freezing. Um, Uh,
0: That said, though, I mean, it's very they're also a very common like landscape plant. mm -hmm. Um, So you'll see them a lot like they'll people be selling their corn slash bulbs at like Menards or whatever and you can buy them and put them in your planters and grow them and then you can overwinter them you pull them out and go back down to the corn level again and right
2: and that's what I mean so when you say like tuberous that's kind of just what I mean like it has like a storage
0: structure
2: that it can basically just store nutrients in and go dormant yeah um so I guess that's probably something that people deal with in certain, if you're using it as a landscape plant, like in certain climates, I imagine people get like, okay, it's getting cold, the allocation is just going to lose all its leaves, go dormant, and then in the spring, it'll just start growing again.
0: Yeah. That said, though, you, I mean, in Minnesota specifically, you can't leave them in your planters over winter. Right. You would have to bring them into a garage or basement situation. Yeah. Because uh, I, oh my gosh, where were we... I think back when you used to live in an apartment in Minneapolis, Kaelin, we were leaving your place. And once we got to like the richer, more fancy side, a block away where the mansions are, there were, someone had pulled out their Adoras from the year and they were massive. Like the leaves were probably like eight feet long and they were just sitting on the curb. And I was like, I'm so tempted to just take it. Where would you put that thing? I know, but I was like, I, I can grow you. They I people, can grow you.
2: People grow them as annuals here in Minnesota. Like they just put them in pots in the spring and they just blast off. Yeah. Some people I think even put them just right in the ground. Yep. And yeah, they totally it's like it's ridiculous how fast they size up mm-hmm. out in just like good outdoor conditions. And and then of course, like <sighs> The light, the days get so long here in the middle of the like summer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The summer solstice is like a long time to it's have like, daylight. It's
0: like fourteen hours of light yeah. or something we get.
2: Um, but yeah, so that they're grown in a lot of different ways, and like they're closely, they look. I think it's really easy for people to mistake alocasia and mm-hmm. colocasia. Calocaia, I want to say, is more commonly the edible variety. So it's taro. Oh. Like the tuber is what we call taro. Mm-hmm. And it's I think a traditional food source in like Polynesia mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah they look really the same. And I'm honestly I don't even know how like taxonomically they would get Divide, like, what are the specific differences that makes an allocation, allocation, a colocasia, a colocasia?
0: I, I only have one colocasia right now.
1: Oh, the, um, I, I, th- there might be more reasons to this, but allocasia, their leaves point up and colocasia, their leaves point down. Oh. So, like, the colocasia, you'll have the face of the leaf and it's like vertical, upright. Ah. Uh, like the, what's the V part of the sinus? leaf called? Yeah, the sinus is at the top. Of the leaf on a Colocasia and then the tip of the leaf is pointing down to the ground, and Alocasia go the opposite direction.
0: My frydeck though, they they do that. Frydeck's point down. Uh yeah, and like some of the older leaves too, like they'll start looking like that as well. Yeah. Mm. That's from what I can, one see, way I learned to tell them apart. Um, from what I can see, as far as the corm slash tuber situation goes, Colocasias are far more. Tubery, where they they remind me of like how calatheas pull out, push out little tubers on the bottom. Mm. Yes. Versus
1: like the little underground runner versus the weird umbilical cord connecting the quorum to the alocasia. Yeah. That's
2: Uh, that's
0: what I've seen so far. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Which is like super weird when you start looking at alocasia corms and when we're talking about propagation, you like, it looks like just another root. And at the end of the root, it's Mm -hmm. like.
1: And they're very fragile too. You can break them off super easy.
2: Yeah, which I almost wonder if that's like by design. Probably. Oh, I'm sure. Probably. Yeah. So that like the little corms can kind of roll wash get washed away and then start growing somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that's kind of the general I want to say that like that's a j- pretty good just general picture mm-hmm.
0: of a physiology, yeah. of the alocasia. Let's, Let's talk it, about care.
2: Yeah. <laughs> They're Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, Adam, how many I how many allocation do you grow? Uh, which ones? That's a good question. <laughs> I I should have counted. I don't know how many I have. I don't have a ton of allocation. Christine is counting in her head my allocation.
1: No, I'm counting mine. Christine oh, has no. a lot of allocation. I think I have the second amount, second most, and then I think you have the least amount of allocation. Probably because you have a variegated or-, or Dora, or do you have the Gigiana? We think It was
2: sold to me as a variegated Odora.
1: Okay, and then you have the weird little teardrop drop shape one I can never remember the name of. This starts with a C. Oh, yeah. Calculata. Calculata.
2: That's the variegated one yeah. that yeah. I have. The variegated Calculata.
1: You used to have Frydeck. Do you still have a Frydeck? I don't have
2: Frydeck anymore, but I have a variegated Frydeck now. Oh, that's right. I have a variegated Black Velvet. You,
1: are a, you going to want a regular Frydeck when I get some corms? Yeah. Uh, Adam actually so generously brought me a fry deck one day when we were trading begonia cuttings. And I was like, oh my God, I love it. I wanted one of these. And like you couldn't find them anywhere. So I was Mm -hmm. so happy. And then I grew mine up and it was a
0: beast. Yeah, it's gory. Those things can become
1: so so I just cut off all the leaves.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's a fantastic care thing. We'll get
1: there. We'll get there. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm getting distracted again. ADHD, baby.
0: Yeah. I Without like sitting down and thinking, I'm just going to say I probably have about 25 different species. Sweet. Whoa. Which, realizing that's only like that's a third of them. Like, mm. oh, wow. Maybe that's the one I'll be able to be like, I have one of each.
1: Wow. That would That'd be, be, cool. that, would be that could be all your
0: plants. Yes. Yeah. Let's see. I have Regal Shield, Dragon Scale,
1: Stingray, Variegated Al... Variegated, I guess it's minus the Variegated Gagiana. I have Frydeck. I have Metalhead. Um, I have a dragon scale uh, too. Tandarusa, mm-hmm. Uh Side note: If you are familiar with Alocasia Jacqueline, somebody decided to name it after themselves on social media, and that's why it's called Jacqueline.
0: Well, okay, we'll we'll go further. Someone took a trip to the Philippines and found it. I thought it was Be- a local. No, she found it being sold in a nursery, and decided I am going to name this after myself. So instead of at this time,
1: the plant is not officially named yes, right at now. At this either. time,
0: Alcasia Tandarusa is not officially classified. It's most likely going to be called tanderusa, which, which means is deer antler, which is after deer antlers. If you look up the plant, it's a beautiful
1: deer antler looking thing. Yep. With a crazy ass texture.
0: So this person, don't know, her. like, oh, cat's freaking out. Uh. She did, took it upon herself since it wasn't officially classified to just name it after herself. And,
1: and now everybody fucking calls it that. Stop calling it. T- oh, fuck. I'm getting words. Stop calling it Jacqueline. Stop calling it Jacqueline. It's Tandurusa until they name it. Yeah. Don't give this bitch this
0: credit. Tandurusa, too, because I keep saying Tander and I keep putting an E in it, oh, but it's a no U. R. It's a U. No, tandurusa. It's, it's T-A-N-D-U-R-U-S-A. And I keep spelling it T-A-N-D-E-R-U-S-A. Oh, it's Tandu, yeah, not Tandir.
2: There's a lot of names like that that are really tempting to mispronounce. Right. But I feel like there's also a lot of plants out there that do have common names and that are just not accepted
0: right. scientifically. Oh, yes. Like Tritoscantia.
2: Yeah. And the, that just can be so problematic and confusing, um, which is why, like, Latin names are wonderful, I yes. think, just to clarify globally what plant you're talking about. That isn't to say that those don't change a lot and frustratingly, right? And like you just get used to like calling it the newly accepted nomenclature and then it changes again. Um, but that being said, I want to say, doesn't the Freideck the same situation? Isn't it a Micholitsiana?
0: Yes, it's yeah or no, Mach- Macarizia. Macar- macar- I have to look up how to say it because I forget, and then
2: uh, the macoriza is the one oh. that looks like the odora Allocasia Correct. odora. Correct. It yeah. looks like a macoriza and looks like a Gagiana, and I don't know how to tell those apart. Nope. But the mycolitsiana is the there name of
0: a Friday Friday. Um, and at one point. I had heard that Frydeck is specifically the variegated form. Correct. But I recently was looking that up again and it, it didn't seem to be the case.
1: Oh, uh, Adam's right. It's Michael Itziana. Michael
0: Itziana. Okay.
1: I have 29 <laughs> tabs open on my phone browser Whoa. and one of them is the Allocasia Aeroidpedia. Nice. Um, Which I use to consult <laughs> specific questions on my right Alocasia So I'll look it up um
0: back to care <laughs> wow we got distracted um as an aroid they they do really well in lekka but i am starting to learn or starting to maybe hypothesize that it's like the philodendron thing long term they want to be in soil um because they are a very hungry plant like you do want to consider nutrients in every single watering if you have these guys um Go ahead, Kaylin. I'm going to interrupt. Um, I have
1: the Jacqueline page pulled up, and it oh. does say, NG Jacqueline, a local of Gor, Gorontalo in northern Sulawesi, bought the first few individuals of this species and popularized, popularized it online under the name alocasia Jacqueline, but spelled J-A-C-K-L-I-N, oh. did not sit well with a lot of Indonesian growers and collectors, and they have since worked on naming it alocasia Tandarusa, but it hasn't officially been dis- gotcha. described, so... Cool. It was, it, it does. Final clarification local. there. Yeah. yeah a yeah, traveler. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Back mm. to what we were talking about. <laughs> uh, versus soil versus long-term. Yes. Yeah, so they definitely want, they want to be fed. So the, you're going to have to do nutrients with them. And so like, it's just easier with soil than at that point, because soil has the ability to hold on nutrients longer versus when LECA, it's however long it's being able to stay in your water. Um, <clears throat> they like to be a little more root bound. Like, so like I was saying, they like to stay in smaller pots a lot of my alocasia are only in like four or six inch pots. Um, I
2: think one of the biggest things, so especially if we're just kind of on a surface level talking about care, people often will bring them home from a greenhouse, right? Like they'll go and buy them from either, either directly from a nursery where they're growing in a greenhouse or from a nursery or a box store where they've only been for a a few days. And before that they were growing by growers Mm in, greenhouse conditions. And it has all these, you know, maybe like you're getting a plant with multiple leaves, right? You're getting a plant with three, four, five, seven leaves, something like that. You bring it home and slowly, but surely the lowest oldest leaves start yellowing and just like basically turning brown and then eventually just falling off. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is pretty standard. And it's something I learned early on when I was growing alocasia was that they generally will support foliage in direct relation to how much light, again, the quality and duration of light that they're getting.
0: Yeah, that's a, I mean, all, all of us, when we first started growing alocasia, that's something you'll hear a lot of, oh, they can only support so many leaves at a time. And a lot of people think that that means like three or four and that's it. But I mean... If you give it the right amount of light, i.e. Caitlin's Regal Shield that we're staring at, it has 15 leaves. Sure. So, no, it
1: has like 11 right now. <laughs> Most I've gotten is 13. Okay. want to clarify. So,
0: I mean, yeah, so. Um, right. And it also depends on
2: not just the quality duration and the, the, the light that you're giving it, but also like how well you acclimate it to. Mm-hmm. So it's going to just, you're probably going to end up in this situation where you're like, you have a plant in a pot, and that it's just a single leaf. It just holds on to like the newest leaf, and I feel like that is a more common situation within this genus. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I mean, that's just something I would tell people at the nursery. Yeah,
0: and that's and that's not a cause for great concern, especially if it's something you just brought in, or you just repotted, or you transferred it from one to the other substrate. They they are they are known to throw some fits. Um, my, uh, Chantrieri, almost every time I repot it, it like droops like all of its leaves and it just sits there for a couple days and then it comes back up. So they, they throw little fits and if they drop leaves, that's fine. The beauty of them is as long as the corm is happy and healthy and not rotted, they'll always come back. They'll yeah. keep coming back. Um, the cats are having races in the house.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, that is, yeah, that is good. I think the, again, is one of those plants, like you said, that if you, if the the only way you're gonna really destroy it is with too much moisture mm-hmm. around the, the cor- around the kind of tuberous base mm-hmm. of the plant, um, which also this is not directly related to care, but sort of uh, they're toxic. I know that mm. those tubers, especially around the the base of the plant, they have a lot of the like oxalate little crystals that are really toxic if you. Them and swallow them, so <laughs> don't
0: you, be namin on your allocasia. yeah. And
2: just like if you've got cats or dogs or even children or anything yeah. that's going to be tempted up like things in their mouths, yeah, just be aware of that going into
0: caring for alocasia, which is a little tough. Because I will say, my friedek is probably the one plant my cats mess with the most, just because it's too tempting for them to just bat at the leaves, because mm-hmm. they're just big leaves that they get to play with. Yeah. Um, but I, for the most part, they're pretty good about not eating them. They just mess with them. I have not been paying attention to what you guys have been saying because I've been reading about the history
1: of the uh, the naming of the Freideck. And it's obnoxiously long. Essentially, what it comes down to is in 1984, David Burnett published some work on the Alocasia genus. And that it was called Alocasia micheliziana and then there were three cultivars, the Michaeliziana Florida, the Gigantia, and the Green Velvet. Our Freideck is going to be the, the Green, Green Velvet, Velvet, Alocasia Michaeliziana Green Velvet. Um, going forward and other works that have been published, blah, 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 bringing us to 1997. And then, you know, somebody introduced the name Alocasia Michaeliziana uh, Variegated Freideck. And then... They thought that Frederick was the name of the man who introduced the plant into cultivation. And this is the variegated one. Okay. Um, And then it got published as Allocation micheliziana Maxkowski as another cultivar name, but it just means the same plant. And then, oh God, fast forward to 2001 and they're calling it something else and blah, blah, blah. And then... So this is the frustrating part we talk about, where stuff just keeps... (laughs) It could have been... uh, They end up spelling Freideck differently again. It could have been a typo, blah, blah, blah. Really, Freideck is just... You should call it Alkaesha Michaeliziana Green Velvet is what it comes down to. Everyone calls it Freideck because that's what you know it is. And also, it's easier to say Freideck than Michaeliziana. But less fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But then in in bold, it says... So, over time, Freideck has become a household name in the Alocasia world, often being one of the first names a collector will encounter. It behooves all readers and alacasia collectors to respect botanical precedence and refer to the green cultivar as Alocasia micheliziana green velvet. Okay,
0: green velvet going forward. That's
1: what I'll call or it. Or if you don't consider David Burnett's 1984 text, Alocasia micheliziana Maxkowski. And you can refer to the variegated cultivar as Alocasia Max. Uh, Michael Litziana Fredek, Michael Litziana
2: okay. Maxkowski yeah, Green see,
1: Velvet. I feel like they have a they have a photo of the Maxkowski and the Green Velvet. Are they um, different? Oops, no. I let me find them. let me find the Maxkowski
2: I feel like Michael Litziana is now a contender for like the name of my future child,
0: child? <laughs> or Maxkowski Eye. <hamster. laughs> or- <laughs> just Michael for
2: short. Michael. <laughs>
0: Michael, Michael for
1: short. <laughs> <laughs> this
2: is Michael, aka Michael Itziana. <laughs> it is a dwarf hamster.
1: So, yeah, uh, going forward, call your Freddieks Michael Itziana green velvet because David Burnett introduced it that way the very first time we saw the plant. We right. stand David Burnett in this podcast. Thank you, David Burnett. I have no idea who he is. Uh, okay, what we're we talking about, Care, now that we went down that rabbit
0: hole. Focus. Yes. Um. I think like the next thing jump off of that is spider mites.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, we talked about yeah. watering and soil. Yeah. We didn't
2: really talk about soil. I mean, don't dry them out. We talked about light and acclimating, and the fact that sometimes if you don't acclimate them correctly, or if you don't give them the right amount of light. They won't. They will only support like. Did one you talk or two about
1: leaves. acclimating when you bring them home as not moving them from their pots? Yes.
0: Well, not really. We did say that they throw fits when you repot them. So
1: okay. So I mean, in my experience, bring a plant home from wherever you bought it. Don't repot it right away. Let it get acclimated to your conditions. All
0: plants. All plants.
1: Really. Especially alocasia, though, because they are going to be upset that their conditions change. And then on top of it, if you repot them, they're going to be upset that you repotted them. They don't like their roots being touched. So avoid that as much as possible. Christine's shaking her head. I haven't... I mean... I, I mean, it depends on how happy they are before you repot them because I, I mess I with the roots plant all the time. And I repot it and I'm breaking up the root ball and repotting it. I haven't had the damn plant miss a beat. Yeah. Unless it's unhappy before I repotted it. And then it will throw a motherfucking bit, drop a bunch of leaves
0: and look like shit for eight months. Um, what did you say while Kaylin was talking? That I Because she said don't touch the roots. I touch them all the time. Oh. I'm constantly messing with roots.
1: I would say if your plant is happy and you're giving it the right amount of light, it's not a big deal. A lot of people don't do that. They don't understand light. They don't give their allocation enough light. And so they repot them and their plants throw a fit. Mm. So, yeah, in your case, your plants, I know your plants are getting enough light because we discuss how much, you know, your light levels are and stuff. So that's probably why you don't see them throwing a
0: fit. But, it, you know, all a lot of, it, of it's not like drop all your leaves fit. Yeah. Um,
1: I thought I had a, like a happy Sabrina and then I repotted it. It was like, now it has two leaves for the last eight months. Interesting. Um, Yeah, no, Um, I just want to say my two cents on the whole light thing. Give your allocations a fuck ton of light. If they're not happy, if they don't have enough leaves, give them more light. Put them in the window. Um, If you need to add a grow light, you can. Yes, Christine.
0: There, I was going to say there are a couple species this does not apply to.
1: Okay, so give them a shit ton of light asterisk. um south facing windows are best west facing are great if you have east you might have to like supplement that lighting with some stuff but alocasias can have a shit ton of leaves if they get enough light and you ph balance their water and you fertilize them they can support that many leaves if your plant's only having one two three leaves you're not giving enough light you might be letting it dry out too much could start fertilizing once it gets a little happier oh that's my, that's my, that's my
2: baby. No shame. If like your plant only has two or three leaves, like that's okay. Like the most important thing is that the, like the newest leaf is intact and, and healthy and like actively growing. Um, and the asterisk is important because these are not plants that you would grow like outdoors in hot, direct sun in like a a desert climate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or like a southern uh, like any anywhere close to the equator where the light will be really intense like even even beyond that they need some protection from like the most intense heat of the sun or they right. will
0: burn um they don't require added humidity like they will do just fine in household humidity but Depends they do on the alocasia. they do enjoy it yes there are some
1: I've had a couple struggling alocasia that just didn't quite enjoy Life and so I put them in the tent. Now they're taken off. They're doing great. So maybe that's I. I I'm wondering if I can pull them out and grow them in not humidity. Now that they're super happy, mm-hmm. and I wonder if they'd take that or if they'd still be unhappy. I might try it. I just don't want them to start looking like shit
0: again. <laughs> oh. Uh, to give an example of a species that is not a highlight would be the Cupria. Um, that is definitely a low light alocasia. Um, I wouldn't say like the lowest light you can possibly give it, but where are we where do we sitting at it? Around 150.
1: Yeah, my alocasia is in a spot in the grow tent that gets like 150 foot candles consistently for 12 hours, and
2: that one, that one's kind of like um, iridescent, right? Yeah, it looks yes. like a beetle. It's so cool. I, w- I want to say a lot of those, not all plants, but a lot of plants that have iridescent leaves tend to be low light adapted, like they have structures in their cells, like in their tissue, that like refracts and slows down. The radiation, mm-hmm. so that it can like use it more efficiently. Right. Um, it's the same with like begonias, and I don't, and they're called iridoplasts. Ooh. That's what they're called in begonias. Mm-hmm. I don't know if like those sorts of structures exist in these other types of iridescent leaves as well, but that might be
0: like part of the reason why you're saying um, that they're they're too efficient with the light that they do get, so they don't want too much. It's like r- the blue li- blue eye thing where.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. My cupria, so I, the thing I love about alocasias is they're so communicative. They will tell you what they want. If they stop growing, there's something wrong. Like Most likely usually spider mites. Yeah, usually it's spider mites. Or like if they put on like small leaves, you're not keeping them moist enough. You know, stuff like that. But the in this case with the cupria, I knew he was getting too much light because uh, his leaves, you know, they sit up or whatever. All of a sudden they were all face down. Mm-hmm. All the leaves started to point down. He's like, oh, fuck that. Don't want this light. And I was like, dude, buddy, what's wrong? So I kept moving him to lower and lower light spots in my tent. And then eventually after, you know, a period of acclimation, I had to be patient. He popped back up. Mm-hmm. And now if you go look at him, he's in my bathroom. He has like 12 leaves and they're all just beautiful, happy little perky dudes, super vertical. Happy little guy.
2: Which is... Are we still talking about the cupria? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I've never grown that. I mean, it's cool. It's definitely cool. Um, And I would, wouldn't mind growing it. N- not right now.
0: Hint taken. <laughs>
2: but like <laughs> sometime in the future when I like have a chance to do... Catch up on some plant care and like get all the plants that I brought inside situated.
1: I feel like you need to get rid of a couple couple more plants right now to
2: lighten your workload. Yeah. yeah I shouldn't be taking anything new on right now. um, But... Okay, so light water. What about subs, like, soil
1: mix?
0: I definitely go chunky. Potting mix. Definitely I go don't. chunky with them.
1: <laughs> I, I, like, everyone's like, oh, chunky mix, chunky mix, chunky mix. Again, my alocasia don't want to dry out. Chunky mix makes them dry out too much. I guess, uh, t- yeah, to be
0: fair, my chunky mix, I mean, all my allocations except for one, two, three, are in high humidity. So they're not... Mm-hmm. Right, like the soil itself is it draining. It? Yeah,
1: most of my alocasia live in my house, mm-hmm. not in the tent, and so they're just getting ambient room temperatures. Um, my soil mix is just potting soil with added perlite to add drainage. Um, and then, yeah, I slightly overpot them so that they have room to grow. Um, and then I water them, keep them wet, keep them moist, do a good soak. None of this bullshit. Add a cup of water every week douse that sucker yeah yeah
2: that's pretty much true with all plants you don't want to just add a cup of water every week i mean better than no water right but sometimes but don't sometimes be, also be, worse than no
1: don't water, be afraid so. to water the fuck out of that plant the soil only going to hold
0: as much water as it can ha- absorb and then that being said don't leave it in water for like three days what
1: are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> we're um i'm currently watering my regal shield which is next to us in our the living room while we we're recording and that's when I water my plants, I put a saucer under them or I'll put them in the sink in like something that holds water, water the fuck out of them. Water runs out the bottom, sits in the tray, and then I let it sit there sometimes for 24 hours so that the water, which is like a sponge, soaks up all the water it can possibly hold. And that's also so I don't have to water it again very often.
2: <laughs> you said the water, which is like a sponge, no, but I meant think you soil. meant the potting mix. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry.
1: Like, Words are hard. Um, yes. The potting soil is like a sponge. Yeah. Um, and that's like, you know, if the soil becomes hydrophobic as well... You let it sit in water so that it can have time to absorb all the water it takes to need, it needs to get fully saturated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do that with all my plants, and I don't have root rot. They you sit also in give water you- for a whole day, and then that's. You give your plants a, like
2: optimum light as much right. as you can too, which that helps yeah. a lot. So that's just another thing you can, ki- like, if you're giving that as advice to people, you just have to be careful. that sure because- their light is good Right, too. Right. right. And it, again, also before you're doing something like that, you want to make sure that the plant uses up an adequate amount of moisture that it has before you're like setting it in water again. Um, just for long-term.
1: Yeah. Success. I'm making sure my soil, like my soil, I'll let it dry out, you know, one to two inches down before I water and let it soak again.
2: Right. So figuring out that ratio of the, for this particular plant that I'm growing, how much moisture do I want it to use up before I'm adding more to make sure that it's staying he- as healthy as it possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I went and helped one of my friends water their plants. Uh, my friend Asha. Hi Asha. Um. I watered her plants the way I water my plants. And then like 75% of her plants proceeded to die because they were in spots where they weren't getting enough light to use up that water and they weren't used to getting watered that way. And so they all got root rot and I had to buy her new plants (laughs) because it was my fault they died.
2: That's a really, I'm like, it's really good that you mentioned that because we're here recording this and people might listen to our advice and like... Do that. So again, your plants, Kaylin, are used to being watered in a specific way. A lot of them are established, growing in a particular window. So they're
1: already acclimated,
2: right? Mm-hmm. So like everything here that we're all this that care information that we're talking about should be taken with a grain of salt. Yeah. And like That's what works for us right. might not work for Evaluated you. Evaluated on a sort of conditional basis. Yeah. Um,
1: so now, if you're someone who doesn't give your plants quite as enough light as we do and you water differently than we do what would we tell them going forward to switching over to watering the better way our way i don't know
2: i would say if you're keeping your plants alive and you're happy with them like don't they're like you're, you're doing what if someone wants to get
1: more than three right. leaves on their allocation if you're, trying
2: like, if you're trying to boost, like if foliage size and like specimen size and push it, then you can incorporate, try incorporating some of the, the care advice that we're talking about here.
1: I would say before switching your watering habits, I would switch your light. Switch light first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Prioritize gently. light, put plants directly in the window so that they can see the sky. None of this three feet, four feet away bullshit. Yeah. Um, add grow lights if you need to leave your grow lights on for longer if you need to. Mm-hmm. And then also like, you know, You might need to acclimate them to said spaces. If they're used to getting no light or very low light, you won't want to just throw them in a south-facing window. You would want to, like, have a sheer curtain up, put your plant, like, two feet away, and then next week move it a little closer, and then the next week, all the way up to the window, and then the week after, open the blinds or, like, the whatever, yeah. Take away your sheer curtains.
2: And And we'll probably, throughout the course of this podcast, wind up repeating this information because I feel like... This is just something that really we could talk about in any genus specific episode where, yes, when you're acclimating, you want to follow certain procedures, watering, l- figuring out light levels. A lot of it does hold true across different genera. Mm-hmm. So uh,
1: a lot of my care for my plants is pretty much the exact same as what I've been describing. Right.
2: Um And of course there are exceptions, but, uh, but also I think if we're talking about care for alocasia, we should talk about spider mites because that's one of the most common pests to, um, encounter if you're growing or collecting this, um, plant variety.
1: I would say you go to a store, you buy an alocasia, you bring it home. Just assume it has spider mites. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's from a big box store. I don't know that I've found alocasia at a big box store that I'm confident that, don't have spider mites
0: No. they they get them pretty quick pretty easily um
1: cuz if the plant is stressed it'll put out what is it, a, it puts out a hormone or something that then attracts the spider mites mm-hmm. so like that's just compounding right there uh, problems on problems i mean uh,
0: sorry go ahead you go ahead i was going to say the beauty of this though alocasia's aren't like i, I immediately think of calatheas cuz as soon as calathea gets a spider mite it's like i'm dead Right. Ruby crispy, just, I hate this. Yeah. Bye. Allocasias, they'll just kind of, the biggest indicator for me is they just kind of stop growing. Yes. No um, new leaves. If they don't necessarily like, the leaves won't really yellow unless it's a super bad infestation. They just kind of stay stagnant. So if you're saying seeing like, my allocasia hasn't grown in a couple of months. Check it for spider mites. And you know it's getting enough light. Getting it's the right conditions and stuff. Not um, dry out all the way. So they're, with that, I have found them to be very easy to treat for spider mites too. They're pretty resilient against them. Um, and then, like I said, worst case scenario, you always go back down to the corm. And as long as the corm is good and not rotted, it will come back. Uh,
1: I am currently treating for spider mites on a number of alocasia. And I... Uh, I didn't get to the point where I was noticing leaf discoloration on the leaves. Um, I just was like, okay, I think something's wrong here. And then, you know, check and find spider mites. So like a majority of the ones I've been treating that have I found spider mites on, they don't have any discoloration. Like I didn't even notice they stopped growing. They just had bugs on them. But yeah, I've been treating them. No issues. The leaves are holding up just fine. Um, Some of, you know, if the leaves drop or whatever, I just usually end up cutting them off because they're sad and they're not going to come back.
0: Um, I think a really unique thing that I have found with alocasia and spider mites is they spider mites will always be on the front of the leaves. I get them on the back. Okay, I've seen I, them on both sides. I was gonna say I I haven't really noticed them on the backs for me. It's always in the front, like right where the sinus hits the leaf. They tend to mm, populate that, there that first. Part is
2: true where yeah, the petiole like connects to the leaf. Yeah. tends to be where they aggregate. And but they do. They can be on the 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 top surface or the underside of yeah. the leaves. They can
0: yeah. So I mean, with like any plant with spider mites, treat both sides. Yeah. But I I guess I have just always found that they've always been on the front for me, and, and maybe I'm catching them faster. I feel that like they're
1: understood. on the back first, and then they eventually get to the front.
0: Oh, weird. But.
2: It maybe depends. a lot of times they'll be on the if the plant you'll notice a lot of alocasia varieties have like ruffled edges mm-hmm. all the way around the perimeter of the leaf and they'll congregate there as well and sort of start webbing in those ruffled like wavy edges they like having like
1: that depression
2: mm-hmm. yeah they like being surrounded like that mm-hmm.
1: um so check spider mites and i have that in common
2: <laughs> yeah, you like being surrounded by roughly leaf edges, more
1: well, like in a nest. Oh yeah, like a little cocoon. Yeah, no,
2: and that's true for a lot of pests. They like to be compressed. So if you're treating somewhere
1: they can hide,
0: yeah. And
2: I like what you said though to both of you about sort of the fact that there, it's not like um, the end of the world, right? Mm-hmm. If the alocasia, if you spot spider mites, for the usually they the alocasia aren't really densely compact. Plants In the sense of their foliage right. isn't just like, it's not just like a mass of foliage, like with some Hoya or with some, um, I don't know, some other leafy plants that just become a bush. And you're like, you have pests now have to like spray the top and bottom and petiole of 600 leaves right. that are just in this pot. Um, otherwise, I'm going to miss some. Mm mm-hmm. Um, so the alocasia, like usually have a lot of surface area on the leaves and can be kind of just sprayed and wiped down. You do it, you treat it with probably neem oil would be my go-to for spider mites. Um, but I'm, I know there's alcohol, there's.
1: I uh, don't use neem. And it's not strong enough. I want, I want to get rid of them now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> there's also, as an alternative to neem oil. There's like the, the active ingredient in neem oil, which is as a, as a, Dactrin, as a
1: azedithracin.
2: Yeah, something like that, which can be found in a concentrate as well. So like neemax or uh, Is that Azomax. the chemical on
0: azimax or azimax, yep. yeah.
2: Um, those things don't actually have oil. And they're a more concentrated version of the active ingredient, mm-hmm. which is basically stops those spider mites or pests from eating. Yeah. As soon as it hits those insects or mites, they just stop feeding which transforms them from pests into just regular bugs. Bugs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then it stops, it like disrupts their ability to like procreate too in some way.
0: Um, Uh, I'm a huge, I like to do alcohol because I like to try and keep my chemicals down. But uh, with alocasia green velvet, that like the leaves, the different type of alocasias that have the real soft leaves, like your green velvets or your black velvets. Nope. Well, maybe. So, like, think of... Thin. Like, yeah, real thin, softer leaves. They variegated fridic. Um They tend to not like alcohol because, obviously, it can burn their leaves a little easier. Um, so, usually for me, that just means good old soaking and dumping in water.
2: And, and while spider mice do tend to congregate on the leaf itself around the sinus area, they do they can grow and survive on like the petty petiolar tissue Mm -hmm. and the main stem of the plant. So if you're spraying it, even if you're just blasting it with water, which is another good way to just like keep the leaves clean, like regularly shower that thing if you can, or just like wipe the dust down because those sorts of conditions are perfect habitat for spider mites. Especially on
1: bigger leaves like Regal Shield, uh, Metalhead, anything... They're just, oh God, they're so dusty all the time. Yeah. yeah.
0: But then like the alocasia, like uh, your dragon scales, the more like armored, like super hard leaves. They can they can handle the alcohol, the chemicals or whatever. They're pretty good. Um, great. Also point, this is a good tie in for spider mites. Okay. So alocasias, when they are dropping a leaf, my train of thought is keep that leaf on as long as possible. Because uh, the plant can always reabsorb those uh, nutrients that are in it, or whatever, and, and yellow leaves still photosynthesize. Yellow leaves still photosynthesize; they until they're like super crunchy, and then I can just easily pull them off. I leave them on. That being said, that is where spider mites like to hide. They love hiding in those tiny little crevices of dying leaves. So, just if you are fighting a spider mite infestation, maybe think about yes, go ahead and pull those leaves off yeah. to help keep them away.
2: I think generally that's good. That's good advice. Um, and if you're, like, what you'll notice is with alocasia, on the, especially on those lowest, oldest leaves, it's pretty easy to just kind of, if you push kind of down and twist mm-hmm. on where the petiole attaches to the stem, they kind of just cleanly, Break when they're away. ready, they yeah. will cleanly separate from the stem of that plant. If you yeah. can't do that with relative, like, if you have to put
0: a lot of force, maybe that's a sign it's that time yet. it's yep. not ready to to remove that leaf. Um that same with calatheas too, because calatheas when they push out new growth, they leave that little like thing behind. So I'm constantly just like poking all those. Yeah, out. those so that's are the hard to pull off.
1: Yeah. I usually just cut them because otherwise I rip something else off. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Don't force it because you can end up yeah. like uh damaging the forcing your love.
1: And, like yeah. it's normal for alocasia to you know lose a leaf, so. They just you know they have eleven leaves at a time. They the They're one going to lose they more grow leaves one. than your other stuff does, yeah.
2: and that's that's normal. And that's how they grow these long kind of trunks over time. A lot of alocasia mm-hmm. will just grow these long tuberous trunks, which I want to mention to you guys because we had a discussion about this in a previous episode. I saw a video of somebody cutting up one of those trunks, just like putting it in a nutrient solution in like a tub of nutrient solution in a window, mm-hmm. and they all just basically sprout pop like rooted and and rooted yep. yep so like the trunk itself absolutely has nodes like a, any other aeroid.
1: Mm-hmm. i've had a bunch of people i've seen a bunch of people not have success with that um i'm eventually gonna try it i don't know when
0: but yeah i'm, I I'm gonna see.
1: try it in like ideal conditions and just you know set it up for success and see what happens i because
0: like i personally unpopular opinion i guess i don't like when they start looking super chunky so, my like, not that I would ever do this on like your regal shield that's super established and huge, but just I would be like off, half tempted it? to just cut it and reroute it. And that's
1: what I'm going to be doing to my Cupria eventually is my, yeah, it, a couple of my are like that, waiting for the bottom to grow back if it wants to do that or not. And then just yeah,
2: I think I, I
1: they'll get too stem, they'll get too stemmy, they'll get too tall. Eventually, if I let this regal shield go he's going to have, you know, a fucking trunk and then all his giant foliage at the top.
0: He's not going to fit in my window. Right, and maybe well, at that going that to have, to have. It's it. not going to really be able to support itself either. I think
1: they go
2: horizontally. So like what I've seen in conservatory setting, etc., will be like they'll sort of just eventually curve the trunk down so oh, they're moving yeah. horizontally yeah, yeah, to yeah, the yeah. ground and the foliage just kind of popping up at the end. Um so so yeah, there's ways, you know, you can deal with that over time.
1: I want to circle back to what I use to treat for spider mites. Yeah. You guys said what you do. Um, spider mites, did you bring up that they have? A, they will develop a resistance? Oh, no. They will develop a resistance to whatever pest chemical you are using. So a key thing to do is switch it up. Use more than one. Um, I have five that I cycle between. Um, I will get bottles of insecticidal soap and Captain Jack's dead bug brew. At the home improvement store because they're cheaper. Um, and then I also have Azomax, uh, Mammoth Can Control, and then Dr. Zymes, which is like a citric acid based natural pesticide or whatever. So I will, you know, usually it's whatever one I either have mixed up at the time or <laughs> available, which usually starts off being the premixed ones. Because everything else is a concentrate. You have to mix yourself and then you have to use it up as soon as like right away the same day that you mix it. So I try not to leave a bunch of extra stuff sitting in bottles that I then have to properly dispose of. Um, But like this morning before Adam got here, I had to go and spray down plants in the tub for their third treatment, and I just mixed up. um, I used the can control, mixed it up, put it in my spray bottle, sprayed down the whole tub. Um, And then repetition is another thing. You need to repeat your treatments for spider mites using a different spray every time. Um, Spider mites, their life cycle. The the warmer it is, the faster they go through their life cycle. So like if it's let's say eighty degrees plants are living outside uh every three to five days is going to be when you want to treat if it's colder like 60 um every seven to ten days um i went down a rabbit hole once about spider mites because i was like i'm going to eradicate these little fuckers and i'm going to do it now um but yeah just i i think if you are confident you can spray and kill them all i think you only need two treatments i do three or four because there's just I don't have room for error to let them go. Do spider mites
2: lay their eggs in the soil? And like that's because that that's the reason why you repeat treatments, right? Because the
1: eggs hatch because you the 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 pesticides don't kill the eggs necessarily. Right. Yeah, so you have to wait for the eggs to hatch and then kill those little babies before they can lay eggs. Yeah, right. which is the three to five days and the seven to ten days yes window. Um, so I believe yeah, this three to five days is when they hatch and become babies, but before they're able to lay eggs, and they grow faster and. Their life cycles could qu- happen quicker when it's warm out. So
2: and there are lots of different types of spider mites that commonly will afflict a lot of tropical.
1: There's parts. the red-spotted one.
2: Yeah, the two red-spotted.
1: Two-spotted. The yeah. red
2: and there's just red spider mites. There are white ones, there are yellow ones. Are and there are black ones? There probably little, are. Little brown ones. <laughs> I wanna say there's 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 more than a handful of spider mite varieties. Um they will all kind of exhibit similar uh, stresses like similar observable things that you can just see happening to your plant and they look and behave similarly but I will say one thing Kalin uh they do they do adapt to pest control right like that's what you were saying yeah they'll build up a immunity a tolerance yeah. yeah um and they will not do that to soaps or oils like things that physically kill on contact like oils will suffocate. So, if you use a horticultural oil or a neem oil and you're like, that is actually coming into contact, it will smother the eggs or um, like they won't be able to breathe, basically. So, those types of physical like sprays that have a physical mechanism or the soaps that like actually break down the tissues of the insects or the eggs, those they won't develop a tolerance to, at least not quickly like they would with like a chemical control that's like inhibiting their uh desire to feed mm-hmm. or to uh lay eggs or whatever those chemicals
0: do um
2: that's just to ask like just add that on but yeah.
0: Right. Or like good old alcohol where it's just... Or water. Drying them out so that they... Right. Or like physically blasting them with water. They're probably not going to adapt.
1: I've been trying the water thing since you said last time that whatever study said that, you know, water had the same efficacy as some of the sprays. So like my stuff that's outside, I don't want to bring it inside and treat it. I don't have anywhere to put it. It needs to stay outside. So I've been spraying down in the same timeline I would be treating for spider mites, Mm -hmm. just for all the outside plants and... So far, so good. I checked my stingrays in the greenhouse that were my biggest culprit with the spider mites. And I didn't see any the other day. So the regular, I think I did three hose downs, knock them all off.
2: And you're like getting in their tops, bottoms of the leaves into the crevices, just kind of blasting them. And I guess the one like caveat with that is... It has to be done with some finesse, so you don't end up over watering. So you don't you end up plants, yeah, watering your
0: right? The plant,
1: yes. I, I just try to spray it so that the water doesn't run into the plant, sure. in case the you know I knock off a bug and it falls back into the soil. But also, I have a well draining enough mix that that was right. not. I was like, I'm not concerned. They're also outside; they're getting a ton of light. I didn't worry about it, right?
2: But just generally speaking, you it's not something you can't do. It just has to be done with some intention, so you're not like, "Oops, now it's just rotting." <laughs> well, my bad. Oops. Um, but, okay, spider mites on alacasia. Anything else you guys want to add?
1: Yeah. Hey. Um, w- when you're looking out for your pest chemicals, pesticides, whatever, when you go shopping, make sure the bottle says it treats for spider mites. Right. There are a number of things out there that will not treat for spider mites, such as uh, bonite systemic. Do not <laughs> put bonite systemic in your soil to treat for spider mites. They like it. They like to eat it. It's going to make them happy. It's like a treat for them. Yeah it's not going to help you get rid of them it says on the label that it doesn't work for spider mites stop using bone systemic to get rid of spider mites uh,
0: i would <sighs> say in my experience spider mites is like the number one pest that alocasia get i have seen thrips on them but i don't think the thrips were really affecting them i have seen aphids on them but that was just because they were near hoyas and that's where the aphids ended up so again not really affecting them I've seen mealy. I've seen mealy's in nurseries. I'm not going to say which one,
1: but <laughs> <I didn't> guess.
0: <laughs> but I, I have never really dealt with mealy's on my allocation. It's it's spider it's mites. always like spider number one for yeah. me too. Mm-hmm.
2: That's probably the most common. Um, and I want to go back, circle back, because what you said, Kaylin, about the pesticides not all are effective on mites, spider mites. That's really important point. Um, and the reason is because mites. Like spider mites are actually not in the same, like, phylum as six legged insects. Mm-hmm. They're actually in the same group as, like, arachnids. Yes. So they, and then, like, scorpions and things like that. So these chemicals that affect the six, the, the hexapods, the six legged insects, which are, like, all your common bugs that you normally see, like, ants and, uh, Beetles, butterflies. Yeah, yeah.
0: That, but that, yeah, since they're technically an arachnid or arachnea, whatever. Uh, that's why smothering them works so well, right? Just and the like, blasting worst with case, water. just like throwing them in a tub of water oh. for thirty seconds is fine.
2: So that's just an interesting thing that I, I learned. The the reason why that some of those common like systemics and other types of pest control don't work, it's because they're like more distantly, they're not as closely related to the types of pests that those chemicals were designed to treat. Right. What about propagation, you guys? Do we want to go over alocasia propagation?
1: Division, have- corms, and then if you're feeling ballsy and confident, you could probably do cuttings, but I wouldn't start
0: there. Yeah, I think corms is by far the easiest. For sure. Um, Division's great because it already made a plant in your pot. Yeah, I was. Just, or but bit. So, okay. <laughs> is... Division and corm then is the same thing. It's whether or not you've pulled the corm out and grown it or you just yeah, the let division it division
1: is the corm already sprouted in the pot. Yeah. yeah. Right.
0: So it's still growing from a corm. That's kind of where I've started. I don't hunt for corms anymore. I just let them do their thing. And when I have like four or five little guys coming out in the pot, I just pull them out.
1: I'm not a fan of repotting all the time. So I pull stuff out when I repot. Because, you know, all the corms also fall out when you repot. And then I'll separate the
0: babies then. Um, that being said, though... <laughs> Have you ever had uh, the corms, like if you have a really tight pot with roots and everything or maybe a bunch of corms and then a corm gets on the side and just like it's squished, like super flat on one side. Yeah. I have the fun shaped one. ones. Or, or like if you I grow have to your
1: alacasia you. in pond because mm. you're working with tiny rocks, same thing. They'll have little, little weird shapes. Yeah,
2: It's crazy how like those little corms can just like exist in sort of semi dormancy under your substrate for just years.
0: Yeah, I would say as long as they don't dry out they will they'll just ch- hang out until they decide to sprout. I like the ones that grow on the very very bottom of the
1: plant like oh like, in, like on the, the plant the b- whole of the yeah, plant yeah, but yeah. then they're like I'm going to grow and then they like do like a little tunnel-y thing where they go under the plant and then they come up in like this weird like really light colored white noodle the white yeah, noodle <laughs> the white noodle and then it'll be a plant and you're like what the fuck are you doing? Okay, right. you're here now. Yeah. It's really crazy. And then so
2: there are so many effective ways that you can sprout corms. There's a lot, I mean, there's not one, what do only you do? one way. I am tried and true, Leka corm, like clean, clean the corms off gently.
1: Do you take off the papery coating? Mm,
2: mostly just like the loosest, like decaying debris on the outermost surface of the corm. Mm-hmm. And then kind of just rinse it off. Keep any, like keep some of the rooting tissue that connects it. To the, oh, the umbilical cord, yeah, kind of keep some of that umbilical cord.
1: I like that because it helps the corn from not tipping over, tipping over where I'm rooting yeah, it. Kind of like yeah, you can, it can keep so it's like it like a little oriented. Yeah,
2: yeah, yep. So I just kind of like nest it down in some leca gently so that you can kind of see which side, like the side that's going to sprout and grow it's so new like the leaves point that's pointing away from the umbilical
1: cord where it connects yeah they're kind of like a teardrop shape so the the pointy part of the teardrop is usually where it's going to sprout yeah if you put it in upside down it'll figure it shit out it'll do the little noodly thing it'll be fine it just it'll happen faster if you put it in top up
2: so i put them i pop them out clean them off orient them in like just nest them in the top of the leka do you cover them Pour some water, and then I put them under, usually under quite bright light in high humidity. Like I will lower the light once they start producing foliage, because the foliage will burn. But that like warm, bright, and evenly moist Cumin. environment, it just like they love it. Forces them right out of dormancy, and like they it's,
1: just it's really throw. quick too. If they're they're happy little dudes,
2: I feel like you could do the same thing with the bulbs that people overwinter for their annual planted alocasia if you wanted to force them out of dormancy you could just increase the light humidity temperature moisture and it'll just go
1: how far do you fill up your reservoir with the Leka?
2: it hasn't mattered as far as i can tell it's like i mean as long as there's moisture as long as there's water underneath them
1: it's wild that adam has success doing these in lecca because i tried it and i'm like i hate this i can't do it and christine roots in lecca too so i'm like i don't know why i can't do it i don't do do it it as often Did you do it in your tent? I don't remember. It was a long time ago.
2: Oh, that's it's It's important to like trap that humidity. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Now I do it in perlite, which is essentially the same semi hydro or passive hydro as LECA. It's just the perlite is a little smaller, so it keeps my corms in better. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the corms are like the size of a LECA ball. So it just, I like sticking them in the perlite better. And then I have them in the little deli takeout containers um, with a lid on it. Yes. Put them somewhere warm, somewhere bright.
0: Yeah. I usually do whatever's closest to me at the time. So I've done it all. Moss, perlite. I mean, I don't do soil. Moss, perlite, like a, um, but not the, I don't have a lot of the big soup containers. I need to just like go get some, I guess. Just get
1: pho takeout every
0: time we record. Right. But I am a, I love Parmesan cheese. So I have a bunch of just Parmesan cheese containers. And that's been my, like, mm. I guess my favorite thing to do is just, I'm out putting a, plant and it's got like, it gives me eight corms. Okay. All eight of those are going to go into that one Parmesan cheese container with some moss and just a tiny bit of water and just sit, yep. cover them up, sit. Or if and I lost the, if I lost the top, throw it into the gallons of black bag, let it sit and they love it. Yep.
2: I like that. I love the one, the one pot, keeping them all together, like reduce your, space that you need like they don't need very much space to sprout they'll grow for a while they'll and you can a problem separate in, them it's yeah. easy to separate them
1: in your jar of possibilities
0: yes.
2: <laughs> keep them in your jar of possibilities we have stickers yeah um
0: yeah so what's your favorite species you grow and what one do you want what's on your wish list
1: I would like a Sarian and an, and an infernalis favorite one I've grown regal shield and fried egg I, I, I wouldn't I would say the fried or the regal shield is just like a tiny bit more popular to me than the fry deck, but I love them both. Just because
2: you've had such incredible success with the regal shield too, I feel, so I feel like that, that helps.
1: Yeah. You are a sexy plant. Yeah, regal shield nods in agreement. Yeah, you should tell them that every day. <laughs>
2: um, my favorite, my favorite that I've grown. Oh, that's hard. I feel like it's definitely probably my fry deck has been my favorite. Like it just got really big and beautiful and
0: so was, hang on I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt us are we saying Friedeck, as in the green velvet michael yeah the michael itziana okay. green okay. velvet
2: hence <laughs> the <Pence-y, laughs> future name of my child um boy or girl i'm cool michael itziana or or you know whatever
1: michael mikey yeah okay let's <laughs> see it's like
2: so, Michaelia has been my favorite probably Alocasia to grow. I am most excited about maybe the variegated form of that Michael mm-hmm. Uh also some of these other variegated Alocasia are just gorgeous and I'm excited that they're becoming you know in they're they're entering the commercial sphere. They're they're growing in cultivation and then once they corm out that corm out that variegation is there and that mutation is there in those corms. Mm-hmm. Likely, depending on where they come off of the, yeah. the stem. Um, so that's what I'm most excited about. I'm not going to give a specific variety. I'm just excited about the future of trying some of the variegated ones out, trying some more of these 90 recognized varieties. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I love yeah, them. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're good ones.
0: Um, I think I'm tied between my scalp rums. And I don't. Know, I really do like Tandarusa. I also really like Frydeck, the variegated. Uh, the
1: Michaelisiana variegated. What are the, oh, the, the, what, are the what are the Scalprim?
0: Scalprim is the real long arrow-headed ones that are
1: like light blue.
0: No, 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 no. Like no. They're oh, that's Platinum Biza. I have that one too. Okay, love that one. Um, they're the real dark green with the purple undersides. Oh, uh, okay. I can show you pictures. Okay. Um, I really like that one. I really like the Frydeck, the variegated frydeck I really like my Tandarusa. <laughs> I mean, I, I like alocasias. Yeah, they it makes sense. You have so many. They have such cool leaves, and they're all very, have their own characteristics. I mean, like Regal Shield, if you hit it, a brand new leaf of a Regal Shield getting light from the backside, it just glows. It's yeah. so cool. Oh, yeah. Look at it glow right um, now! <laughs> <laughs> you glow it. So it's, re- it's really hard for me to be like, this is my favorite, number one. Uh, I'd say if there's one I'm particular to right now, that would be my Variegated Friday because it put out its... First half moon leaf and it's just really pretty. Mm. Um, on my wish list are actually two that I used to grow, but I had I accidentally killed them. Nebula, <laughs> Nebula, and Sarian as well. Mm. I really like the Sarian. I had some giant
2: Sarians at Highland for a while. That we, were like really affordable. I was going to say
1: still
0: some Corms for us. You don't work there
1: anymore. Oh, I
2: don't work there <laughs> anymore, um, and I also probably would. They wouldn't like me taking <laughs> Corms out of the alocasia pots. Yeah, but
1: no one needs to know.
2: Uh, okay. We just announced it on the podcast. But I
1: will say. We're not going to do it because you don't work there anymore. And if you just go as they're a human, you're stealing. So Mm. I just realized. We're not going to do it. I won't
0: be able to ever have all 90 alocasia because I absolutely refuse to get a flying squid. Oh, my
1: God. Christine hates
0: it. I refuse to grow a flying squid.
2: I don't know if that's one of the species, though. That might be a hybrid. Oh, maybe. So if you're just collecting species, you might be able to do it, Christine.
1: Yeah. I am so excited for that thing to get big. Like, what if, you don't remember how big my dragon scale was and how big my stingray was when I had seven plants in the pot? Can you imagine a flying squid? just like little of a spider purple mites. little purple grasses oh i can't wait i can't wait i'm so excited to see how big it gets it's like the stupidest plant and that's why i love it christine hates it
2: i kind of see the appeal i see the appeal like it's not my aesthetic necessarily <laughs> but i see the appeal of like how it's cool you yeah. know
1: kind of like my shrek lamp
0: no, yeah not quite no nope. <laughs> not really but okay Love it. (gasps) Plan of the week. Oh, uh, before we do plan of the week, I want to give a special shout out to Pam. Thank you so much, Pam, Pam, for giving us your donation. You're awesome and a rock star. There are stickers on the way. I threw them in the mailbox yesterday.
1: Oh, heck yeah. Thanks, Pam. And also, Pam is such a participant in the Discord. We love hearing from you. Also, join our Discord. Everyone else besides Mm -hmm. Pam, who's already in there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, join the Discord. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, thank you for supporting. We I said have that fun already. Day. Thank you. donating. Hope you're having fun too. We'll be having fun. Oh yeah. I'm, I've been having fun. <laughs> I wore, I got, um, Adrian's mom bought me the logo t-shirt for my birthday and I wore that to school the other day and all of my kids were like, you have merch. <laughs> <laughs> no way. They're like You're like official now. I'm like, I am, I am. Uh, and then,
1: then send them to send them the link so that yeah. they can get merch. Yeah, I was like, go yeah. buy some shirts.
2: please." I love my wrath hoodie. Like, hoodie, yes. Yeah. Stay rough.
1: I got a pink pink tea. It says stay rough. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, All right. Boy. Plant of the week. I know my plant of the week. My plant of the week is my aglanema pink Dalmatian. It was a housewarming gift for my boss. Uh, he's living in my little geode pot in my small east facing window. And the sun right now is shining through his leaves and he's <laughs> glowing. And he's happy. He's this little pink spotted leafy dude. And I love him. Happy, happy plant of the week. God,
2: I would say my plant of the week is one
1: that... Your Brevrimosa? <laughs>
2: you
0: my Brevrimosa
2: still has leaves.
1: <laughs> Adam <laughs> tried to sell it at the plant sale. I tried to sell it. No one bought it. I tried to, s- to
0: sell his Brevrimosa <laughs> at I had the had plant
2: sale. I had it priced at $85. No one bought it.
0: That's such a good deal. No.
1: Get a small a- one and grow it up. They're gonna. You knew. You know they would take it home and kill it. That's such a like.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. I, it's a very It, it would, It's a big like a commitment to take mm. that. But
1: you're getting me talking about my brevemosa. This is supposed to be plan of the week.
2: My plan of the week is not my brevemosa. <laughs> it is in fact. Well, what
1: did you just say?
2: It is in when fact you, when, when you make <laughs> all
1: those words all at once. <laughs> my Whatever.
2: philodendron Ah is my plant of the week because and
1: true baby because.
2: I successfully acclimated it to Ambient in my greenhouse over the summer. Nice. It was in; a, it had always been growing in a tent. And now it is a very much stable in a nice regular potting mix in my kitchen window. And I'm seeing some new potential for that plant that I have never seen before, even though I've grown it for years. It is... I can just see a future for it now. And I couldn't <laughs> before. Nice. I can see this new type of future for it. And it's going to be... Impressive. I'm gonna grow it like I grow those big pothos on a vine and it's gonna do something. It's gonna just be something. It's gonna right. be it's gonna be
0: someone. It's so gonna be someone.
2: That's that's my philodendron sodoroi. Nice. Uh
0: mine is going to be my Alocasia Calcolata hooded dwarf, the one I got from you, Adam. It's uh, cool. yeah, mine's doing well right now too. Yeah. It's fun, like teardrop leaves with like dark and green or sorry, dark and light green.
1: Is your sood variegation Yep.
0: Cool. I wonder uh, if the variegation is stable. I would assume so. Is I mean, yeah, I would assume like so. Like a tie, yeah, but not like a tie. I don't know. I got it from you. It's been doing just fine. Cool. It's been giving a lot of light, like light green leaves with just like uh, dark green on the edges. It's really cool. Ooh, yeah, I like Can it, and it it's sizing it. up. Yeah. So
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, that about wraps it up, guys. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and stay tuned for next week's episode.
0: Here up, everybody. Bye. Bye.